Hello and welcome to your February edition of Locked On Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, formerly of 24-7, now all of Locked On. Back in the day, I was a lead prospect and draft analyst, and now I've been doing this for almost 700 episodes. We are 46 away. We'll see if we get there. We'll have to check it out. I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen, free and available today and every day, wherever it is you get podcast apps, services, you'll find Locked On Guardians there. So we got some fun things to talk about. We have more CBA chatter. Before we get into that, though, we had another top 100 prospect list come out. Now, I don't like to give away someone's work, but let's talk about Keith Law's list. Let's just dive into this here in segment one of the show, because it is fascinating. It is fascinating from the perspective of when you're looking at a player, and we've talked about Ty Freeman, I've talked about my issues with Ty Freeman uh, as a prospect and why I'm lower on him, that I just don't see a lot of ways for him to get beyond average. You know, that his value is innately going to be about 50. Uh, I don't see a star. You know, a lot of places have him as the number one prospect in system, notably MLB and BA. Uh, baseball prospectus didn't put him in their top five, uh, and neither did Keith Law. So and it's the same reasoning I have, that people are kind of overvaluing elite contact. I saw some people talking about average exit velocity being high 80s. That's not good. Like, that doesn't mean power is coming. That is below average power projection when you're looking at that as an indicator. Uh, he's He is going to have to be entirely someone who makes contact to get on base. He doesn't walk enough. And there has been, you know, progressive, consistent injury nagging bits here and there. This year was the first kind of bigger one, but there have been little injuries that have slowed him down. So there's some concern with that. There's concern about his positioning, where he's going to end up. And there's concern that he's below average power. Like, yeah, he could be 60 hit, but I think most projections are about 40 power. And that can work, but it's a very thin margin. When I discuss, like, you know, the margins to success, when you are batting average dependent, your margins, it's there is a lot more uh, failure. There, it's just the truth of it. You don't you don't have as much control, right? You know, that's why BAPIP can wild, very wild, so wildly, apparently can't get my thoughts together. But when you're putting it all in the statistical area of the game that has the most inherent, uh, or I should say the least amount of control, is contact rates, right? Like some players do have elite, and it does appear Ty Freeman is that player. But we've seen a lot of guys with elite contact rates and low EVs uh, struggle as they move up the the ladder. And we'll see if it continues. I mean, he had a great season in AA. We'll see what happens. But I thought it was interesting that uh, the top guys for the Cleveland Indians won very high on, on Brian Rocchio, Rocchio, number one in system and 22nd overall. George Valera next, Daniel Espino, then Jose Tenya. Now, he has always been the high guy on Tenya, dating back to like when Tenya was like not even a name in the system. He was just someone that he was, someone he's been, I don't want to say all in on since you know he signed, but pretty close. He's always been out in front of him. Uh, it is interesting that, you know, Gabriel Arias didn't make it as well. And Ty Freeman, not in the top 100. You know, these are, but I think, you know, Arias, it's interesting, Arias, I should say. It's interesting that, like, baseball perspective is very high on him, uh, but very low on Freeman, whereas in this case, the, uh, you know, he is, Keith Law is low on both. So, I, you know, like I said, we'll have to see. Uh, I am I am really curious to see his top 10 lists that are coming out. But like I said, we know those, the names that I already talked about. We know that. And then his just missed list is Steve Kwan, which is 
interesting from the perspective that a lot of what he's saying about Steve Kwan kind of holds up for Freeman, but he's higher on Kwan than Freeman, even though, I guess because Kwan's done at a higher level. Um, this was, I thought, the most interesting stat from this, that when he talks about it, that there have been only two left fielders in the majors of any sort who have been two war players who are five foot nine. Uh, that's Andrew Benintendi and Ben Revere. So it's a small group for him to be there. He doesn't think he can handle center field. does not think no, the arm is not there. He said the arm isn't even good enough for center. So Steve Kwan has to be the left field only. Uh, so I'm curious you know, to, to see if he's correct in this or how much. But it is interesting that Kwan ahead of Freeman as well. Even though, again, similar profiles. Kwan doesn't walk a ton. Strikes out about the same much. An elite contact guy. But uh, I, this has got to be the only case where Kwan is higher than Freeman. Again, I admire what Keith does in terms of he takes his view, he takes his swings, and he doesn't allow groupthink to take him over. A lot of lists have a lot of groupthink in them. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not going to put anyone in their place. But there is some degree of chatter. Uh, I know when I used to do this thing, like uh, Taylor and I would talk and Taylor would text people. And he'd get back to me and be like, oh, you know, we're way off on this one. And through the years, I learned to just not care. It's the same reason. Go look at all of these these prospect top 100 lists, okay? And tell me where Jason Dominguez is. Now, go back and listen to me talking a year ago around this time about Jason Dominguez being the most overhyped prospect and talking about Kevin Metian and how he made a mistake and completely overvalued Kevin Metian because everyone was like gaga over him as a prospect. And even though he hadn't played here, we didn't have a lot of data and uh but everyone's saying he can't miss and i'm like this this can't miss happens a lot where these guys miss and i'm going to value having data and production uh over anything else in terms of my ability to scout i'm not going to go on grainy video against uh lesser competition i'm gonna trust when someone gets in there and we can see what they do it's not to say that in a few years i can't be proven wrong i often am but i i think law's list is really interesting uh of course i was going to speak about it because it's I don't dislike Ty Freeman as a prospect. I just think right now it's he's, you know, there's a lot of Francisco Mejia to him, and uh, but without the attitude issue, but just in terms of similar offensive profiles. And it's an offensive profile that is not hugely successful. Uh, the one thing I do know, I think Arias, Arias isn't in here just because there's some talk that the swing isn't clean. Uh, what I mean by that is that uh, there's some overswinging, and the, there's some thought that if he gets up to the big leagues, he's going to be picked apart. We'll see if he can adapt and overcome, but there is some chatter I got at various points that there are those who think he he doesn't have, uh, he's a utility player, that there's no chance for him to be more than that based on just uh, what they saw last year with him. It's a bit of a grooved swing. So we'll see. But yeah, it's uh, Nolan Jones nowhere to be found. I think it's crazy that after one bad year, everyone's diving off that train. Uh, you know, there was, I don't know if it's true or not. Let's put it this way. But I saw a comment where someone was talking about, you know, which projections and which rankings have actually been the most successful over the last decade. And the number one ranking was Zips, the fan graph system by Dan Zaborski. And remember, a year ago, Zips had Nolan Jones, the number six prospect in all of baseball. So people want to rush to run away from this uh, 23-year-old kid who's hit for power at every stop and uh, also has a strong eye at the plate. It's it's perplexing to me. Uh, again, I understand why maybe Jones isn't in the top 100, but I got a sinking feeling he's going to fall out of... Jones doesn't exactly fit the Keith Law profile, uh, just in terms of he's he seems to be 
he, he like me he prefers kind of safer guys he's also i mean he's always lower on high school pitchers just like myself there is more of that value in like safety and known performance and uh jones being such an unknown that could uh lower him down so that's that's enough about prospects again i'm not going to give you all the info i'm not going to sit here and read his reports reports and the like but it's something fun to look at and to talk about and we are getting into top prospect season and i'll eventually post my kind of rejiggered one after talking and more video and stuff like that and having that arizona fall league to dig a little bit more but i think i've got a pretty good firm hold on what i'm going to list prospect wise uh george valera is going to be my number one prospect i'll just put it out there that that's where i'm leaning right now so we'll come back around quick commercial break here and we're going to talk about uh, the cba and specifically I mean, I'm me. So we're going to talk about all the things that are coming out about the draft, which might actually benefit your Cleveland Guardians. It's a new year, so that means new resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure to include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but just so boring. By week three, you're thinking this is not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. Remember, when you go to BuiltBar.com or go to Built.com, Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That is built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. We got an old friend back, and that old friend is rockauto.com. Save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family-owned business serving do-it-yourselfers for 20 years. They have reliably low prices for every customer. We have everything you could need for your car. Go and explore their easy-to-use website and find the solution to all the auto parts you need. And remember that when you go to go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and write Locked On in the How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okay, let's talk CBA. Uh, the Athletic has just been covering this, and it's been awesome. I spent a lot of time kind of digging into the draft. Two things that look like they're going to happen, no matter what. It seems like both sides have agreed to some form of a draft lottery. Now, again, it's always interesting to me. I don't know how much incentive there really is to tank. I think it's a bonus. I think it's a benefit. Uh, I think it's helpful. But I feel like teams aren't really incentivized. You know, it's not like you're intentionally throwing in the can to get the top overall the can in the flag to get that top overall pick. Because most years, I mean, it's like this year. Who's the who's that guy? I, there's not a consensus. Most years, there's not a consensus about that top pick. Um, and we've seen a lot of guys who even were consensus who haven't worked out. This isn't the slam dunk. That guy. It's a two-year-away process. I don't know how much tanking there is. I do think uh, it's not so much tanking as it is teams are just not, hey, why spend? You know, they can make more money and they can also, I mean, getting a bigger pool is helpful. Don't get me wrong. And towards the end of the season, you know, again, I don't think there's really tanking going on. I think it's more incentive you know they're better off phrasing it as ways to incentivize teams to try harder but i think we are going to see um, a lottery of some kind we'll discuss what both sides have talked about and we're going to see the end of um getting uh why am i having a blank out moment here we're going to see the end of draft pick compensation attached to players this will be the last year of qualifying offer guys with that 
Uh, both sides seem willing to go. And we've talked about it on the show. It's surprising. But since that whole, you know, since type A and type B free agents went away, and since we've seen the whole draft pick compensation system kind of explode and teams actually like care and worry about such things, uh, the Guardians have lost two picks and gained one. Now, the two picks they lost were in the same draft class. So it was a second and a third. And they gained, you know, the, I believe like the, uh, you know, first, it was a first rounder. I was trying to think. I think it's the, the uh, Justice Sheffield pick. So one can argue that it was about an even trade, two for one, but where you look where they are, a two and a three versus a late one could be close in value. Uh, and remember, the year it was a two and a three was the year that they drafted Clint Frazier. So it was the, uh, those were high picks. Those were the last time they had a top five selection. So that's not like those were low second round picks. That second round pick was close to where the, uh, the comp pick was that they got. So either way, you would think it would help. They've been, I mean, they just haven't been willing to take that risk. Even with someone like Michael Brantley, they decided not to extend the qualifying offer. They've been more afraid of guys accepting it and being stuck with that and knowing they just don't have the money to operate. So the qualifying offer doesn't really work uh, the way it was meant to work. There are teams out there who, when it is kind of borderline, they just choose not to extend that offer. Um, I mean, the White Sox not extending, again, not small market, but not extending to Carlos Rondon kind of shows that again. So we think it's going to be done. Uh, We're going to see expanded playoffs of some form. Uh, Was it 14 is what the, uh, the, the owners want, and 12 is what the players have talked about. Now, in terms of the worst pick, the owners want it, again, 14 teams in there, and then the top three picks can change. The top three picks change. Top three teams would each have, or top three, the worst three teams, I should say, we each have a 15% chance at the uh, the worst overall, the top pick. Man, getting confused, Jay. Fourth worst would be at 12 and a half, fifth worst, 10. Go all the way down to the 16 worst, worst team. The last team who didn't make the playoffs would have a 0.75, not even a full percentage chance of getting the top overall pick. The players uh, don't like this, uh, you know, and they're trying to find ways to help, again, incentivize. Uh, MLB did also add in a team could not receive a top three pick more than two years in a row. Couldn't get that lottery pick, a top three pick. Uh, we don't see as much of that, but there are some teams where that has occurred. Uh, let's see. The last time we saw a team pick in the top three, three years in a row was the Houston Astros. It starts in 2012 with the uh, Carlos Correa selection with the first overall pick. And then 2013, they have the first overall pick again, and that's Mark Appel, who they take there. And then 2014, they have the uh, first overall pick for the third year in a row, the Brady Aiken selection. And then they end up with the high pick again in 2015 because they don't sign Aiken. Uh, you might be thinking, like, what about the Tigers? Well, the Tigers recently, yeah, they've had a series of high selections, but they also had the year they picked fifth. Being one of the three worst teams in baseball, it's it's actually hard to be consistently that bad, to be that level of bad. Uh, the, like I said, the Tigers have been close, but they had the year where they were out for a little bit, a little bit higher on the list, so that, that didn't qualify. So that's really a, a caveat that, for the most part, we just don't see. Like, a top, you know, it'd be something I said, like, the top, you couldn't be in the top five three years in a row. That would that would be a big thing. But top three, it just doesn't happen a lot. Uh, I actually think that the uh, MLB, the Players Association, would be more helpful to the Cleveland Guardians when it comes to the draft. I think their system is set up to be more successful. You know, it's, it's basically the union's one is to keep things the way that it is and that you would get... Um, you know, the lottery for those top teams, top three picks, and a limiting of three years in the top three. Those aren't too big of a deal. Um, You know, I think everything else is kind of slotted to stay the same. 
So again, it's not really helping anyone or anything. It, it makes it a little more interesting. There's a little bit of a higher chance. But yeah, it's still, uh, it's not a massive change. So we're going to take our next commercial break, come back and talk about the Major League Player, Major League Baseball Players Association proposal and why. Uh, if you're a fan of the Guardians, you actually should like this system more, in my opinion. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march to the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best pace for all your sports, scores, podcasts, news this season. It's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live, real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. So let's let's talk about this one with the uh, the player association that I I kind of dig. So this would be a uh, twelve team playoff instead of a fourteen. So there'd be eighteen teams in the lottery, but the first eight picks, not the first three, the top eight picks would be assigned by the lotto. So there is a chance, you know, not so much the NBA, the MLB one is kind of that NBA style. Uh, this is it's not really the NHL, which is another weird different lottery in its own right. But it's puts a lot more of a chance for a team that's a little bit down. And I also want to state all this would be for 2023. None of this, neither side of these proposals affects the 2022 draft. So don't have, hey, the, you know, the Guardians didn't make the playoffs. Are they going to get a draft lottery this year? No. So another thing is they're trying to uh, incentivize small market teams. And they're still talking about that competitive balance A round and still having those picks in place to help those smaller market teams. But here's the, the addition. Uh, that smaller market teams that finish with at least a 500 record uh, would receive a draft pick right before competitive balance B. So I mean that if you were a team that finished with a 500 record, that you would get a pick right after the end of the second round. I mean, think about it. How much more of incentive would have been for the Indians to really try to pull out one more win and get to 500 to get an extra second round pick? would have been huge or a few years ago when they didn't win the central and still won 93 games hey you're getting an extra second round pick there's a lot of value in that there is value in really pulling some things out and trying to get that last win to get that additional pick so that's that's the first thing because again the guardians front office and those in charge have very clearly shown that they are not willing to do a burn it down and reload they want to reload on the run so this would be good for them that smaller market teams that make the postseason would receive a draft pick right after competitive balance A. So think about all those years where Cleveland made the postseason. We can go back and, you know, how many years in a row? We had 2016, 17, 18, and 2020. Every single one of those years, they would have essentially got the equivalent of a bonus first-round pick. They would have had another first-rounder. Think about how that would have helped them continue to build this core through depth and tradable assets, but also just having, you know, all of those late first round picks, that would have been huge. Should we go and look and talk about, let's talk about the good run and just talk about who they could have gotten with those picks at the end of, for the 2017, 18, and 19 draft. So in 2017, second round picks of note that you could have gotten. How about uh, Spencer Howard? How about Griffin Canning, who's been worth two awards? How about Dalton Varshow, the catcher? Uh, so this, you know, maybe not the most explosive group so far from 2017. Corbin Martin, Gavin Sheets, there are some names, though. Drew Ellis, these guys have all made it to the big leagues. Those were all second-round picks in 2017 that they could have had any one of those guys. Moving, and we if we jump to the third round, Keegan Thompson, the uh, pitcher, Riley Adams, Connor Wong, who I've been high on, Taylor Walls, the shortstop from Florida State, who uh, has been quite good for Tampa as 
like their sixth shortstop down the board. 2018, Ryan Jeffers, the catcher with the Twins. Nick Sandlin, you know, well, they already took him. Josiah Gray, who was a central piece of that Dodgers trade for Mookie Betts. And in 2019, well, I guess just to do the full thing, we should talk the, the two, uh, 2013 third round or 2018 third rounders. How about Owen Miller? Kyle, Kyle Raleigh is an interesting catcher. Kyle Isabel, the outfielder from UNLV. And then in 2019, it's going to be a little bit harder because, you know, again, I'm just looking at guys who've actually made it to the big leagues. And of course, 2019, we haven't had any of those yet. But some big names like uh, Gunnar Henderson, who is a, a top prospect. Uh, just going through these lists, I'm just trying to do a quick look, see if there's anyone who really stood out. Isaiah Campbell, someone I liked for a while. Man, 2019 second round does not look um, super. Joshua Mears is a good prospect there. 2013. You know, there's uh, Michael Harris, the pitcher with the Braves, not to be confused with the outfielder, who's their top prospect. Ryan Pepot from Butler, who uh, is a borderline top 100 guy. Some interesting players that they could have had under this new system. So that's one of the reasons. Uh, Again, so they would have gotten bonus picks, I believe, you know, reading this, that they would have gotten two bonus picks every year they made the playoffs. They would have gotten one at the end of at the end of round A and one right before round B. So two bonus picks a year, two high picks, and the pool money from those two picks would have been the equivalent of like a mid-first rounder. It would have given them so much power, more power just in terms of the draft and their ability to manipulate and who to sign. This is where it gets even more interesting. Large market teams have finished in the bottom eight based on winning percentage in two straight seasons or in the bottom 12 and three straight seasons aren't in the lottery. So everyone else gets a pick there at the very end. So if you're a big market team, you can't sandbag and get a high pick. You would kind of slot out. If you're, uh, I don't know, if, I don't think Houston counts as a large market, but let's say like the Nationals right now, who look like they could be bad for a few years, they're in the D.C. area. Bottom eight two years in a row. After that, they wouldn't. They would be automatically kind of the next team out. Uh, now, if there's multiples of those teams, then you know, then you'd slot by record. But that means they would be stock picking in the early, uh, you know. They're saying, what, a 12-team playoff, so 18. So they'd be stuck picking around 17, 18. Small market teams that finished in the bottom four in the two previous seasons or bottom eight and three years are ineligible. So this is, I like this, again, because we talked about, you know, what team has actually finished in the top three, you know, three years in a row would actually lose something. It doesn't happen often, but we do see bad teams finishing in the top eight for a lot of years in a row. The Reds, the Tigers, the Royals, these teams have almost lived in the top eight draft picks for five, six years at points. And they would be the teams that would feel it. They wouldn't be able to, it means the the highest they could pick, even if they're the worst team in baseball is ninth. Because it's like, okay, you've had your run. Now you're done. Uh, And then we should also point out though, that after the first eight picks are determined by the lottery, the draft order grows by record until teams, until the playoff teams start picking. Then the small market clubs pick in reverse order of the previous year's winning total, followed by large market teams in reverse order of the winning percentage. So what happens then, we go through the first round, just regular. You have a competitive balance. You've got those comp picks based on if you made the playoffs. Because uh, remember, no compensation picks anymore. So instead of the compensation picks, because uh, uh, you know, if you're the Players Association, you want more draft picks, not less. One of those things of losing draft picks over the years has probably not been a net positive because it also means it's a smaller overall pool and there's just less players and opportunities. So when you put this system in place, go through first round happens. We do the lottery. We do the competitive uh, balance picks. We do those additional picks for small market teams that made the postseason. And then the second round starts all small market, all small market teams in reverse order. So again, when the Indians were good, 
they wouldn't have been picking, you know, 25th in the second round. They'd have been picking top five. And it's all small market, small market teams, so it means that, um, I said Indians, you know what I mean, Guardians. The Guardians would always be picking in, like, the top 10 to 15 picks in the second round on. And then, again, think about when they were really good, when they had that, like, three-year run, four-year run of success with this team. Uh, let's see. They were over 500. I mean, you saw that infographic recently. Since 2010, they've got, what, the fifth or sixth best record in baseball? But this was the first year they have not finished over 500 since 2012. So every single one of these years, they would have had a second-round pick that was in the top 10, second, third, every round after the first in the top 10 picks. They would have gotten a bonus pick at the end of the second round. So you're getting that additional pick there. And then the years that made the playoffs in 13, 16, 17, 18, 19, And by the way, or I'm sorry, in 18, I was going to say in 19, in an expanded postseason, they would have made the playoffs. Each of those years, they then get that bonus competition pick at the end of the comp picks, where they're also still getting their competitive balance pick. So you're talking about through this new system, uh, the Guardians would, again, always pick high in every round after the first. They would be getting most years, based on the way this roster has been built and succeeded, a bonus pick at the end of the second round. They would still get their competitive balance pick one year or yeah, one year it's an A, next year it's a B. And the years to make the playoffs, they'd get a bonus first. Uh, I like this. <laughs> if you're a Guardians fan, uh, do you agree with me? Do you disagree? What do you think about this system? You know, I, I think it sounds fantastic. I, I, you're talking about essentially those peak years where this team made the postseason. Because again, in 2019, I'm pretty sure with 93 wins, they would have made the postseason if it was an expanded po- uh, playoff that year. You go and you look at it, that means they would have got, you know, a bonus first and a bonus second in 16. In, well, I'm sorry, for the 17th, 2017 draft, 2018 draft, 2019 draft, 2020 draft, and the 2021 draft. This year, uh, the 2022 draft would be the first time that they did not at least get a comp B secondary pick. And they might have tried a lot harder to get there if such things mattered. Because honestly, the difference between picking two to three spots higher in the first round and getting an entirely new pick is much more valuable. So it would have been a little more incentive to try to get there. This is a system that specifically, with the way the Cleveland Guardians is set up, benefits them maybe more than any other team in baseball. Because they refuse, absolutely refuse to A, tear it all down, and B, uh sell away all their prospects and build towards a just you know they're not going to go all in and they're not going to rip it down to the the studs they want to keep this never-ending never-closing window and they keep trying to compete because we talked about how many times that nauseam on the show the thing they learned from 2016 is you just got to make it the postseason is luck to some degree you just got to be the hot team at the right time you just got to make it so they're just trying to make the postseason expanded postseason helps them quite a bit but this whole system with the way the players association is set up seems perfect for the guardians in mind they are a team that i mean they already kill when it comes to the draft they are so good at their scouting and development giving them like i said that just the the value of a bonus second every year a bonus first every year a draft lottery so the years they don't make it now the bonus first is only if they make the play, play, playoffs and the bonus second is only if they're 500 but let's face it most years they get the bonus second decent amount of time to get the bonus first the equivalent of jumping from you know the end of the second round to the beginning of the second round is worth the equivalent of a whole nother second round pick just in terms of pool money 
And then you're like, well, what about those years where they're terrible? Then they would not, you know, they might, if they were really bad and they had the first overall pick, they might pick like 15th in the second round. Yeah, that stinks. But they're never going to pick worse than like 15th because they're a small market squad. I don't even think it's that. I think they, you know, if you look at who gets competitive balance picks, it's what, 10, 11 teams? It means the worst they'd ever pick in rounds two through 30. You know, last year was only two to 20. However many would be 11. I mean, that is a huge benefit. You look at that value in every single round, that change. This system is ideal. It's like the Guardians designed it for themselves. Uh, I I don't think it's going to happen. I would love it to happen. And if you're a Guardians fan, you should love it too. It is set up perfectly for your Cleveland Guardians. I want to again thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen, free and available today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. Uh, go check out Lockdown Cavs because that is the most fun ticket in Cleveland right now. And as we end every show, go, go, Guardians, go.